a haunting theme played on a centuries-old instrument, an intricate and beautifully crafted down-tempo piece to inspire introspection, and a critically acclaimed end track that draws influences from traditional and modern genres. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variations, a podcast about music and perspectives, brought to you by the online music school, Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. Heyo, a new Themes and Variation for you. I am very excited for you to hear this episode as we're talking songs from video games. You know, I love these themes where I am by far the least qualified person to talk about the subject because that means we get to find some very accomplished guests to teach us a thing or two about the theme. And for this episode, I was so lucky to be joined by Chase Bethia and Zach Zinger. Chase Bethia is an NYX award-winning and VGMO-nominated freelance composer and technical audio designer for video games and has been working professionally in the industry for over a decade. He's produced music for more than 20 games thus far, including Cubic Climber, Reality, and I Can't Escape. And Zach Zinger is an award-winning composer, arranger, orchestrator, and multi-instrumentalist with years of experience in a wide variety of mediums. In addition to his work for some incredible films and commercials, his video game credits include Street Fighter V, Final Fantasy XV, and Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. I, of course, would be remiss if I didn't mention that I actually met Zach trying out for the Berkeley hockey team uh, when we studied at Berkeley together. So we ended up playing on the Ice Cats. That was indeed the name of the hockey team at Berkeley College of Music. Zach was a goalie. He was an incredible goaltender. And while he was busy being a brick wall back there stopping pucks, I was playing forward, little right wing just constantly sniping biscuits bar down. The only way that made any sense to you whatsoever is if you're Canadian. (laughs) Anyways, we get into all kinds of things on this episode, like the incredible sound of the shakuhachi, thematic exploration in game music, and what do composers of video game music like to listen to for fun. And if you're enjoying the show, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really want to support the show, consider subscribing to soundfly.com. We have an incredible array of courses like Intro to Music Production, Ableton Live, Modern Pop Vocal Production, Advanced Synths and Patch Design for Producers, and of course, the aforementioned Kimbra Vocal Creativity Arranging and Production be sure to use that discount code THEMES to take 20% off. So without further ado, let's get into the episode, Songs from Video Games. All right, folks, another themes and variation. I am very, very stoked to be joined by two incredible composers in uh, first Chase Bethia. Chase, how are you doing, man? Doing quite well. Thank you for having me on, Carter. Appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks so much for for joining us here. I'm very, very excited to talk to you. And I'm, of course, stoked to talk to my old friend, Mr. Zach Zinger. Zach, how you doing, man? It's great to see you again, Carter. Great to be here. (laughs) Guys, thank you so much. We could not have found two better guests for our theme, and we're breaking down songs from video games. Fun little kickoff question. Maybe it's not fun, but games to me, so nostalgic. I think about my childhood a lot when I think about video games. They're a big part of my life now as an adult as well. Uh, But just some games from your childhood. What were your favorite games that kind of got you into playing uh, and and then thus into composing a little bit? 
I always loved playing video games, but I think in ninth grade is when I first played Final Fantasy X. Mm. And there's a moment at the end of that where there's a sync point. Um, and that was kind of the moment for me where I'm like, hey, you know, there's something to this video game music. It's definitely more than just the bleeps and bloops, you know. <laughs> uh, of course, I'd noticed it before, but I never thought of it as, a, as something I really wanted to do until then. Uh, and then when I went to Berkeley, they had the film scoring program there. I think now they have a major in video game scoring. But yeah, I believe when I was there, it was just like they were just starting. They had a few classes as like addendums to the film scoring course. So I took all of those with Michael Sweet and a couple other teachers. And uh, and when I got out, I was in Japan at just the right time and met some people who were looking for a jazz rearrangement soundtrack of Monster Hunter. And I was doing some uh, like one man big band stuff at the time. And that was what got me my first in with Capcom and everything kind of went off from there. Dude, you answered like so many of my questions in one. So I love that. <laughs> All that right, was this, perfect. Will, this will be quick then. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> Chase, for you, man, what were some of the games from your childhood that you loved? I would have to say I do come from the, the quote unquote bleep bloop era. <laughs> my first instrument was the Game Boy. I was making tracks on Game Boy camera. Love that. And this is really true, along with configuring the sound test from the Saga series composed by Yamatsu and Kenji Ito on Game Boy, it's known as Final Fantasy Legend 2, and then growing up with Turok Battle of the Dinosaurs. So I've always had this sound that I guess I've known for about, the sound has actually been solidified since 2001, then I was making music on MGV Music Generator or whatever. Fast forwarding to seven years after 2001 or so, someone told me, you know, for the 15,000th time, your music should be in video games. I was like, you know what, why, why, why? So <laughs> what is this? And so I recall seeing a video of God of War 3, mm. uh, who is now a friend of mine. He was saying, he's like, you can be as creative as you want with no limits and no boundaries, like genre specifics. I was like, okay, yeah, that's what I want. And I already have the sound. So just did a Gran Turismo demo and did a bunch of other things. Read half of a book called The Complete Guide to Game Audio by Aaron Marks. And did a demo for a game on, on a dev forum and then shipped my first game within that year. That's amazing. I read that same book, the uh, game, but I, I don't know what edition it was in 2008 or 2009, but they Second were still edition. talking about, all right. <laughs> they were still talking about using a tracker in there, which you must have been using if you were writing stuff on a Game Boy Color. It was actually, I mean, in a sense, it was a tracker in the respect of a tracker being a hexadecimal system that you typically use for coding for how those tunes were made. But mm. Game Boy Color made it extremely user-friendly. So really, it was just using the piano roll in its software format. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that, but that is like technology like 97, 98. <laughs> you have three channels <laughs> and you're just making good tracks and then putting your face on the little DJ ones and twos. I love these episodes that we do where I am the least qualified to speak on the topic that we have, and I'm so out over my skis here. But what is a tracker? Because that sounds super exciting. Chase, you definitely know more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. So a tracker, I, I touched on it briefly, is the way that the classic legendary composers were writing music in the 80s and 90s era for our beloved systems, the Super Nintendo, the Sega Genesis, the ZX Spectrum, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera, Commodore 64, is a program designed to create music that is aligned with working off of the chipset of the actual console. So the program triggers the waveforms that can mm -hmm. be assigned towards certain channels that play within the game at its moment's time. However, it uses a hexadecimal system, which is the coding program software that will 
enact those samples that you align to that code. So for example, for the Nintendo, it's a 2A03 chip and you assign a F3 you know, note towards mm-hmm. whatever the sawtooth wave is then and whatever other keyboard notes in there and it will play in a sequence line order that you can make music out of it's really complex to describe yeah yeah, but yeah, yeah overall yeah, sure. that's how it was made <laughs> I, I had to do one of those in college and i'm so glad i never had to do another one but it was it was so painstaking to use a tracker and i couldn't believe that people actually made i mean this it was all they had to make music with yeah. in those days they had to but my goodness if that's what i had to do i would have been out of the game so fast <laughs> Because it's like you're not it's not MIDI, right? Or no, it's it, not. It's not MIDI. It's all samples from whatever. It's just like numbers. Exactly. Wow. You're just all putting numbers. in like a number value for how loud you want it to play. Right. And the effects as well. So you're breaking down the music into code, essentially. Like maybe if I was to think about it super succinctly, it's coding. Coded music. Yeah. Program yeah. music. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, guys, I, I'm just stoked to listen to music with you. So let's dive into our first track of the day, which was my selection. And, uh, you know. I also love this game, so I'm I'm very excited to get into it. So let's have a little listen here. Sakai, the Jin Sakai theme from Ghost of Tsushima. You guys played this game? Are you familiar with it? I own it. That's awesome. <laughs> haven't played it yet. Zach, you play it at all? Yeah, I'm familiar with it because I play the Shakuhachi. Um, and I actually know a couple of the people who recorded Shakuhachi for that. And just before this, I pulled up the credit list. They had a lot of Shakuhachi players on there. The two guys that I know on there are um, Cornelius Boots and Kinya Sogawa. Kinya Sogawa, I actually studied Shakuhachi with in Japan, so small world. Uh, there's a lot of Shakuhachi I want to get into with you in, in a <laughs> moment for sure, because I mean, that's a big part of why I picked this track, of course, uh-huh. uh, you being a master of, of the instrument. But uh, on Jin Sakai, so it was composed by Ilan Eshkeri. The big thing for me, too, is, is the authenticity of the music and this piece in particular. When you're dealing with a game that is based very much on on historical events the mongolians did like this is set in feudal japan the mongolians had invaded this island around this time certainly one samurai didn't save the entire island but there it is based on historical events and of course you have to treat that um authentically and like all of the gear and and the things that you use like that has been painstakingly researched of course and the music as well so i found uh uh, a little inter- interview Elon did where he, he said when he first talked to Sucker Punch just about getting the authenticity right in the game and kind of the mission. So he said, uh, Sucker Punch wanted to be authentic and respectful. Uh, I was inspired by that ambition. So I started researching folk songs and instruments from the area and time period, spoke with masters and scholars. Uh, I went on this big journey of learning. And by the end of it, uh, I knew just enough to know what I don't know. So obviously, acknowledging his, his limitations. He's not going to get there in, in like even a year of study, maybe even a lifetime 
of study, but I think he's done, uh, certainly when you listen to the entire score for the game, uh, justice in the authenticity uh, for this music. So part of that comes to the instrumentation. The instrument I want to get into, uh, of course, is the shakuhachi, uh, featuring on this instrument. And Zach, you know, I, I have a bunch of notes on the instrument, but it's so much better to just get your insight on it. I don't want to just put you on the spot, but you happen to be just an unbelievable player of the shakuhachi. I, you know, I knew you as a saxophonist. I remember you playing Yui too, somebody that was just always pushing the boundaries of what they could do with, with traditional wind instruments and then going beyond that. How did you get to play the shakuhachi where did it start for you yeah so when we were playing on the berkeley hockey team together i didn't <laughs> i didn't even know what a shakuhachi was at that point um i didn't find it myself until 2012 um i actually have one right here um so sick this is my plan playing just like a, a little bit of it for us <laughs> yeah so it'd be something like i mean that goes to shoot sushi melody Awesome. <laughs> that is so sick. So I was in Japan in 2012 and I went to Akasaka B flat, uh, which is a jazz bar in Akasaka, Tokyo. Uh, and the Tokyo big band was playing there. I was there to see them. And then this American shakuhachi player got up and played, uh, like sat in on a couple tunes with them. So from the very beginning, I was thinking shakuhachi in jazz. Like that's, yep. that, that's, as soon as I saw it, I thought, wow, there's a lot of unexplored territory there. Um, so I kind of, I went and talked to the guy afterwards. His name is Bruce Hubner and he's still, he's been my mentor through, um, to, to navigate this whole world. Found me my teacher in New York, wrote me letters to get a grant in Japan to go study this thing, but gave me my first, uh, my first taste and I could barely get a sound at that point. It's mm -hmm. notoriously difficult to get your first sound on it. Uh, even for someone who's played flute at that point for nine right. years, uh, it's a very different embouchure, the way you put your mouth on the instrument, um, because it's an end-blown flute rather than a transverse flute. It also only has five holes, so um, four on the front and one on the back. So it's uh, to get all the half steps and stuff, you got to like cover a half a hole, a quarter <laughs> of a hole, or alter the angle of your head. Um, and, so, and it's just tuned like really like the, the traditional holes on the, like a pentatonic scale. That That's way. right. That so correct? the notes okay. you have on it are, and then you can blow yeah. it up, but you can get a full chromatic scale. It was really inspiring to me how expressive you could be with it. Um, and so, you know, I, then I found out about all this amazing traditional music that went with it and I've been trying to play jazz on it ever since. And that's, that's kind of my story with it. Ghost of Tsushima, to, to talk about that specifically, yeah, um, what they got right and what they got wrong in that. Um, I mean, they did a really good job. Like, they got some really legit shakuhachi players. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure how many details they gave them about, like, what era this game is in or who's supposed to be playing it. But, um, like, all those cats are, are great. Um, 
So one thing I thought was really cool was in the animations I've watched of them pl playing the shakuhachi, yeah. they actually are holding it correctly. Um, and they, you never lift your middle fingers on the shakuhachi. You always keep them down. And mm. in the animation, they're always keeping their middle fingers down, which I thought was a really nice... Somebody obviously watched very closely to, to get that detail right. Um, something that isn't correct, uh, I, I just looked up what time or what era Ghost of Tsushima is supposed to take place, and it says in 1274. Yeah, yeah. So that would be pre-Edo period, um, which started in the 1600s. And so what you would have seen then from samurais playing potentially would be the Hitoyogiri Shakuhachi, which doesn't look like this. It's much mm. smaller, a much smaller piece of bamboo. It doesn't have this root end here. And the, the holes are like little pinholes. So it's very soft sounding. And wow. um, it was really just, I mean, they didn't have any kind of tradition necessarily that we, that we know of. Right. Um, it was just kind of a thing, almost like a harmonica in the Old West. They just kind of like noodle around on it. Um, it wasn't until the Edo period when, uh, like late Edo period, when samurais started, when feudal Japan started to become unified and samurais started to go out of work, then they would have be these masterless samurai called ronin. Uh, and that's when they yep. started to pick up the shakuhachi again. And that's where you get these legends, these myths um, about uh samurais using them to beat uh beat people over the head as like a concealed weapon the thing too that i'm going to point out is your obviously your ability to have brought your improvisational skills on other instruments to this instrument is just mind-blowing um the record your record fulfillment has a bunch of incredible examples of it Start going on a deep dive on this because it sounds so beautiful and rich. But uh, I, I got into uh, Minoru uh, Murayoka, the, the Soul Bamboo record, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, was digging into all kinds. I'm I'm a fan. I'm a fan of this mm -hmm. instrument. Just so in terms of orchestration, right off the top, the percussion, the strings, and lockstep on that that ostinato. Obviously, you hear you hear that main theme pass between the, the shakuhachi and the strings, simple yet incredibly evocative melody. Um, you also really hear you can hear the breath. I. Th Think I want to say it's from the Shakuhachi performances uh, in the B section. You can hear that very kind of faintly. I want to play that for you guys right now. Japanese instruments, traditional instruments, all are supposed to represent something in nature. The shakuhachi is meant to represent the sound of wind through a bamboo grove. Um, the oh, show, that. if you ever hear that, is supposed to be the rays of sunlight coming through the, the clouds. Um, the ryuteki is another Japanese flute that's supposed to be the call of the dragon. So they all have these, these different things. But shakuhachi, wind. Awesome. Awesome. 
Um, diving into the character, like, are, are you focused on like character developments within the music that you're actually writing for the game? Is that how much does that play into the your own role as a composer? Like, how much of the storyline are you needing to be involved in, or is it just like, here's a cue, please write to that? Yeah, for me, it just depends on the project that I'm that I'm on. I know mm-hmm. for the soundtrack reality, there was a, a myriad of characters that I had to personify. before on another interviews and whatnot but i was going through a depression during the Mm -hmm. the time of the soundtrack so i was able to implant most of the feelings that i would say from the characters of the game like Jakob or ben or lilia were were feeling like worth uh, sadness or loneliness or or arrogance in in that respect but for a game that I'm scoring right now, that's actually was an extremely big challenge to Gaimo. The the world, it's a hot potato game <laughs> in a style mm-hmm. of like Fall Guys. And it's kind of weird, but it's using, it wanted Japanese traditional instruments or something of, of Asian instrumentation with mm-hmm. a more upbeat and intense style. And it's open world hey, get this potato out of my hand or you become mush. So I'm trying to figure out, well, how is that world kind of sound and what is intense? Because it's going to take a lot of layering and instrumentation to kind of right. really embody what that world is, especially with the art style. So it's just, I guess it depends on the project that I'm typically on. Uh, Zach, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, it, it, like Chase was saying, it's definitely project dependent. Mm-hmm. I find indie games allow a lot more freedom uh, to, to get into the characters. Not only one, because you're usually the entire music department right. for indie games, so you're also the director and you get to make that decision yourself. Whereas for the AAA titles, oftentimes those decisions have been made already and they're coming to you with reference tracks and um, like we want it to sound a very specific way. So that kind of limits you, it puts you in a box. But when I'm composing anything, it, it helps to be put in some kind of box or to put myself in some kind of box. Otherwise, it's like, what do you write? So when I'm working on an indie game or if I feel like I don't have enough direction, yeah, the more details I have on a character or a stage or a concept or a theme, uh, the more uh, I can kind of direct my creativity in a specific way. This game is called Persona 4. It came out in, I think, 2007. Uh, It's a RPG dungeon crawler slash social sim. And I had never really played a social sim before this game. Now, if you just listen to that track on its own without any context uh, context from the game, it actually is kind of like, it's pretty mediocre. Uh, (laughs) So like the, the production value isn't great. That MIDI trumpet is awful. The uh, it, it, MIDI horns a, always. It, it's a cool line, but you're always like, I wish I heard that with a real trumpet. I mean, you know, Persona has kind of made it part of the sound of Persona, yeah. which is yeah. it, it becomes charming after you spend enough time with it. Mm-hmm. So the reason I love this track is because of how thematically perfect it relates to 
the game and the themes of the game. The player literally goes inside their own mind and battles their inner demons, like wow. demons made into like some kind of monster that you're actually fighting. Each character has their own inner demons, and they're always surprisingly mature and well-handled, subtle subjects. So like one of them is uh, a gay youth who's not sure if he hasn't come out yet. It's the inner struggle of coming out and being comfortable with himself. Uh, well, in Persona 5, there's one where a girl is struggling with, a, with sexual harassment at school. So like they're, they're serious subjects. Wow, yeah. um, but this one in particular is all about facing yourself. This song is called I'll Face Myself. Mm -hmm. Thematically, I just think this does so many things right when you're talking about that theme. Um, this song plays whenever the character confronts that which they're fighting and then overcomes it. So I'd love to play it back one more time. I have yeah. a little written statement here just to talk over it, just so I don't forget any of the details. Of course. Literally every part of it, every instrument entrance, everything that's coming out is significant, at least in my interpretation. Oh, amazing. So, okay, I, I'm going to fire that up. Here we go. A frail high piano melody plays in a minor key, symbolizing the character's vulnerability. Underneath, a bed of cluster chords supplies a tense accompaniment that embodies our hero's insecurity. Even the hi-hat remains closed, just as the protagonist closes himself off from the people around him. But like a moment of eureka, a sudden rim shot, cues a theme of strength and perseverance. The piano, seconds ago representing self-doubt, is relegated to the background. The doubt still lingers in the back of the character's mind, but doesn't take center stage as before. A solo trumpet takes over, the new hero of our story. The hi-hat begins to open up, as does our character's heart and the bass provides a driving eighth note pulse, symbolic of the determination in our character's soul. The minor key switches to its relative major, rewarding us with a lush organ and chorus guitar playing not tense cluster chords, but warm, welcoming spread voicings. Strings join the trumpet to strengthen the melody, just as our in-game social bonds helped us to strengthen our resolve. An improvising electric guitar floats freely atop the reprised chorus, as if to say, from the shackles of our insecurity that once bound me, I'm released, finally able to be free to be me. The piece loops back to the theme of doubt, the loop itself a representation of the lifelong internal struggle between insecurity and self-confidence. But even that yin-yang is skewed towards the yang. The theme of self-confidence is twice the length of its counterpart, beseeching you to tip the scales in your own life toward the side of self-contentment. Dude, that was incredible. <laughs> that was That's an incredible track, incre right? But that that was a ma I feel like I just got a masterclass inside the mind of a composer, man. That was but see what I'm saying? Oh, it's like man. nothing in that there's no wasted notes. No. Or, every decision in that track means something. There isn't, but I, I'm all I'm just floored by both like I again I love these episodes and both you guys have I'm already like I'm just so shook. I'm I'm like absolutely thunderstruck <laughs> by that. That was absolutely incredible, Zach. Like, geez, I don't even know where to go from here now. Like what to do. That was amazing. The reason that I bring up something like this is because this mm -hmm. this is not an interactive soundtrack. This is a very simple linear soundtrack that mm -hmm. um and I've always been a proponent of melody in game music. There's a tendency these days to go to everybody's really excited about interactive soundtracks and they're really right. cool. But I don't think that we should just leave melodic, simple soundtracks in the past because there's still so much thematic exploration that can take place. Right. Even with these simpler tools. Whenever I go to these these uh, video game music conferences or whatever, everybody's always talking about the new technology and the crazy stuff they're doing. But I don't know. I still find beauty in these 
in the subtlety of just musical uh, musical tools. Back to the Jin Sakai track. Like I remember getting stuck in one battle, and I, I probably played it like fifty or sixty times in a row. And that piece never got dull for me. When you're you're writing a, a piece of music that you know is going to be heard in a bunch of different contexts within the game, but then also maybe in like a main screen where a player is like trying to change something about their character and they're just on the screen for like 30 minutes. So you know that your piece of music is going to be played over and over and over. How does that affect your guys' approach to, to composing? Well, certainly interactive soundtracks allow you to get a lot more mileage out of things because everything isn't always playing at once mm -hmm. in, in, a lot, in some forms of it. I've even had directions sometimes that tell me to make it sound more generic. Wow. Uh, yeah. Because if you make something too recognizable or you make something too, uh, too unique, people will notice when that unique thing comes back. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm in the same boat as you. Like I think of like the Fire Emblem game, uh, the most recent one, Three Houses. It's, it's a real-time strategy, or uh, what is it, turn-based strategy game, like over-the-top, uh, like war kind of game. But you'll be listening to the same track in multiple battles, like across the game for... I don't know, a battle might last an hour or longer. Yeah. And they do have different forms. Like if it's raining, there's a different form of the same game of the same song, which I think is a really effective way to use the same material. And when you repeat a theme like that, you're driving home thematic uh, development. There's a reason for why this theme is playing at this place and also in this place, you know? Mm -hmm. Hope in, in the in the ideal scenario. I think of a lot of games also just overused tracks. Yeah. So I mean, it is difficult. Interactive interactivity helps, but um, I guess for me, working with audio directors, it's not usually my problem. They're, <laughs> they they decide where it's going to go. And of course. It's, yeah, but it's a game by game kind of thing. Trying to help realize their vision, and they can they can pick and choose, I guess, where it goes. But let's bring it back to to I'll face myself. Is there anything else that you'd like? I mean, the, that that breakdown again was was just so incredible and perfect, and and painted such a beautiful picture. Anything else from this track that you'd want our listeners to take away? Oh man, I mean, that was <laughs> that was pretty much everything I have to say about this track. Um, and I, I guess this is my interpretation of it. I, I would love to meet the composer of this track someday, but. If I told him all of this, I, I would think he might say I'm reading into it too much. But I do strive to compose with this level of detail in mind whenever possible. Mm -hmm. And the more details you know about it beforehand, you're able to do that. So this track in particular, no, I don't have anything else to say about it, except that if you haven't played Persona 4, you better go do it. It's an awesome game. <laughs> <laughs> What are we listening to, my man? So we are listening to Somnia Memoria, composed by Yoko Shimomura, the legendary Yoko Shimomura. 
And this is for the game Parasite Eve. It was released in 1998 on PlayStation, the original. It's actually a action role-playing game with a, a very dark story. <laughs> You're playing as a New York police officer by the name of Aya Brea. And she attempts to stop Eve, who is a woman who plans to destroy the human race through spontaneous combustion. And that is by <laughs> no means a hyperbole. <laughs> wow. Uh, the, so as a player, you'll just explore like different levels or all like around like New York. But while uh, utilizing plausible real-time like combat strategies and whatnot, the irony about this track is that it is definitely way more relaxed than the feeling you oh, get. Oh, man. Dude, I, th- I thought it was like a classic R&B, like slow jam. <laughs> it starts with the rainwater. <laughs> like it shifts in harmony the way it gets to... I think it's in G minor, maybe like the main... Mm. Uh, harmony, but the way it gets there and shifts through is, is really like classic R&B. And the bass line, of course, yeah. is classic R&B vibes. When the bass line kicks in, it's just, yeah. you, you, you know, you're grooving. And it just goes to show Shimamura-san is like composer prowess from mm-hmm. the tracker music she would do within the Super Nintendo and the Game Boy and Street Fighter 2 through here on Parasite Eve and the, the very esoteric type of tracks she composed there and then on to all the, what everybody knew her for, which is like Kingdom Hearts. That's like a, a very wide range of skills sets from whatever she's been blessed to just touch game work with. And it's just pretty significant, especially within this track, mm-hmm. when it's actually enacted for the game, because there are elements of these these sultry chord progressions that happen. But the like we were talking about with the different theme of when you're fighting as Aya and encompassing you know eve's minion evolution things that i don't want to spoil it if anyone's played the game but i know it's over <laughs> it's like, like you know 20 yeah, it's years been i still out don't for a while that. right i, 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 I i'm not on that I, I don't spoil it for a minute because movies are old before i was born i still don't want to spoil it, so i'm not gonna do that <laughs> but yeah overall it's just it's just so relaxing and then you're grooving to this and you're thinking well i should be feeling yeah. a little bit more silent hill like on the edge you know, type of feeling, <laughs> but yeah. no, she definitely has this nice blend that can just get you just more calm because there are more calm moments. They're far and few between, mm-hmm. but they do exist. This, uh, the hook kind of area, what I'm calling the hook anyways, kind of hits kind of hard. I want to play that section right here. Um, I think you touched on this a little bit, but please, like, what exactly is happening in the game when this track is playing? I'm not gonna say. <laughs> okay, all right, cool. I, no it's, spoilers. It's a we, two we disc experience. 
And so okay. I think it's best to find out for yourself, especially put, yeah, go through the mental stress like everyone else did. That. <laughs> I can respect that. You don't want also, if somebody's like not quite there and we ruin it for them, then certainly we don't want that to be the case. But uh, this is great. I have like two new games that I need to, or two new old games that I absolutely <laughs> need to be checking out. Um, dude, the chimes everywhere. I was, I was struck by too. Like what, yeah. What else can you tell us about this track chase that, uh, that you love about it? I mean, besides, like I said, you've got the groove, you've got the, the drum, the drum feeling groove, you know, analogous with the bass, mm-hmm. but the modulation that happens, you know, later on. Yeah. And then with her being able to to match that, you just get this feeling like, oh, we're just uplifting. Why are mm-hmm. we uplifting in this type of, at this moment? <laughs> like, yeah. are we feeling a, a reprieve, or are we, or, or is there something you know else to be said about it? And why is it in Spanish? <laughs> I'm so curious. I hopefully to get to have drinks with the legendary Yokoshima Moore one day and just have her tell her everything that she was feeling for you know this this piece. I actually have a personal relationship with her, so I can ask her that question next <laughs> yeah, time I please. talk to her. <laughs> the follow-up, yes. Yeah. Um, I'll ask her, why was this in Spanish? <laughs> Chase wants to know. It stands alone too, I think, outside of the the game, I'm guessing too, right? Like you feel like you can listen to this on its own. Yeah, it's definitely wake up in the morning, don't feel like getting breakfast, drive to your closest Burger King because you know it's there and get a hash brown and sit in the parking lot and eat it. <laughs> That's so specific. <laughs> that, that I, I love that. No, I, I, I'm a... I love that you mentioned like it's got this R&B feel. You can yeah. hear like that nice little 90s guitar sound in the back, like a Sade or some sort. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Things that you just wouldn't typically put or or match within a game, especially Parasite Eve, to say, hey, look, we're just going to break the barriers. We're just going to put this all in here. And that's the foresight of thinking that I love with the palette and the and the choices and the lyricism, obviously, with the, <laughs> within that goes with it. Yeah. I haven't done a yeah. full translation, but I'm thinking of more of like in, insomnia memories is what it's for kind of relating to. And like I said, I'm kind of touching on the story a little bit so i don't want to get too deep into it but <laughs> let's just say Aya and eve have a have a have a thing that they have to sort out <laughs> i mean somebody's That's, trying to spontaneous combust somebody is a problem <laughs> that idea of writing against the expectation to be dramatically effective it's almost like in a movie like you see kids and then all you hear is like one child singing Frere Jaca, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. one of those kids is going to die and you know it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. uh, you just don't know which one yet. But it shouldn't, like on its own, Frere Jaca shouldn't creep anybody nope. out. But it totally does uh, dramatically. Or like to have, having opera during a murder scene. Oh, it's, yeah. It's almost like inside the crazed mind of a murderer. Yeah. Like the beauty that they see in it. Yeah. Um, I always picture so. Anthony Hopkins when you mention something like that as far as like <laughs> opera and a, and a murderer, of course. 
I have a couple of quick questions from a community member, actually, Eric Anderson. Eric, uh, he's, he's done a lot of chiptune stuff. He's making some really, really cool 8-bit music. But I think he's very, very interested in getting into making game, uh, music for video games. Uh, and he's just kind of starting his journey there. But has a question for each of you. So for Chase, uh, he says, reading your bio, it sounds like you were into video games and their music before you even entered the games industry. Were there any activities you participated in that you think helped you develop musically or get a feel for the work you'd end up doing so you kind of answered that i think a little bit earlier but i'd love to get your thoughts on on eric's question there sure so things that i was kind of involved in it was honestly it was just playing a lot of video games trying to cajole my father to buy the next game you know that was the latest (laughs) thing to come out uh yeah i was fortunate to kind of have quite a few in the collection you know as a child and whatnot but i think that like i said that goes to show where my sound in my head was without knowing it that was my world. That still is my world. Reading the magazines, the game magazines, playing the games, awesome. along with still trying to grow up. <laughs> Dude, I miss in elementary school, our library had every new Nintendo Power, and that was for the longest time like the greatest magazine ever it was so good i didn't even have a nintendo at the time i was playing sega but i was like i gotta get like this is so sick. traitor <laughs> i graduated to an n64 so I, I i made the switch and uh I'm, I'm thankful for it and for zach question for you from eric i saw some of your credits included okami and super smash brothers ultimate two of my favorite games what was it like being part of major projects like those Cool. So um, specifically those two, Okami was another jazz rearranged soundtrack. Cool. Um, so it was taking the music of Okami and making it into, uh, we did a jazz quartet album for that one uh, with some special guests as well. That one was cool because we actually got to record it live with musicians here in New York. Um, I played Shakuhachi on a track or two and I did one, uh, there was like a shamisen solo in that, like a temple, really steamy sounding shamisen solo that I made into like a Jaco Pastorius style bass solo nice. that, I, that I think is pretty cool on that one. So if you can check out that, it's called Okami Henkyo Kushu Volume 2, I think. <laughs> awesome. Hard to find in the States though. Uh, the other one, Smash Brothers, I played the Andean Kena, which is like a Shakuhachi from the Andes Mountains. Uh, and it's shorter and has six holes instead of five. And that one was actually one I worked on with Shimomura-san. She did a rearrangement of Cosmo Canyon from uh, Final Fantasy VII. that got in for the Cosmo Canyon stage in Super Smash Brothers Melee. And it was it was actually pretty last minute. She called us up and asked us, my fiance and, and me, if we'd record some shakuhachi and violin, or rather some kena and violin on it. So it was cool if if rushed. It was cool. <laughs> but it was just like, can you turn this around in a couple days? Yeah. For for Yoko Shimura, anything. Anything you want. Absolutely. That's awesome. Uh, I got to ask you guys both, too, one final question. What do you listen to outside of video game music? I've been listening to some sample library demos. I've been listening to indie indie rock things. I've been listening to uh, 80s Japanese game shows. <laughs> cool. Zach, what are, you, what are you digging into these days? I'm literally trying to find wherever history is on my Spotify right now as we speak. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, I listen to uh, tra- Japanese traditional music and modern compositions for traditional Japanese instruments. As well as if I were to say one guy who's kind of my new, the new guy that I listen to is uh, Anomaly. 
the oh, yeah. Fr- yeah. the French he's a Montreal keyboardist yeah yeah he's like a jazz pianist I think yep. first but he just has unbelievable production shops and yep. you know that world to me is really really interesting I'd love to give you guys both the opportunity, though, of course, to share with our listeners what you're up to these days, where they can find your music, anything that you're excited about that's coming out. Chase, let's start with you, man. The floor is yours. Sure, yeah. You can check out all my work at chasepathia.com. I'm writing for about close to nine games at the moment. Wow. Uh, but I'll just name just a few. Just yeah, the ones that uh, Space Marmalade, kind of ambient, semi-open like open area space type style combat type of thing shigaimo like i said the hot potato game with some japanese influence for some things like like that and stardander which is like a a school for which is magical very texture but semi-melodic or counterpoint type of vision of rpg and yeah i post on my twitter at chase with theo or on my instagram gamer composer but yeah you can find me if you just look at my name Awesome. And Zinger, please share uh, everything you're up to, man, uh, with, with our audience, anything you'd like to share and where they can find you, what they can listen to, all that good stuff. Now, well, first of all, this has been the greatest honor of my life next to playing, <laughs> playing goal for the Berkeley Ice Cats. So oh, I want to thank man. you for having me on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I have a website, ZachZinger.com, yeah. um, Z-A-C Zinger. And you can also find me at, uh, on Instagram. Follow me over there, just at ZachZinger. Yeah. Uh, and if you check out my YouTube page, I've got a, um, I, I started a kind of educational series where I just talk about subjects about the shakuhachi that I like uh, called This Is Not a Recorder. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So that, that's, that's perfect. That's over on Zinger Z is just the name of the YouTube channel. You just look at my name. Um, it's got a bunch of my music on there too. And then I'm on Spotify, you know, and you know, all, all over making music wherever I can. I can't talk about the game project I'm working on right now, but I think it's going to be out at the end of the year. So awesome. If you follow me on my socials, you see whatever's coming out. And that's going to do it for this episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we want to know your favorite songs from video games. So there is a link to a Spotify community playlist in our show notes. Feel free to add your selections there. Of course, be sure to check out soundfly.com for all of your music learning needs. And as a special treat on this episode, we're playing this one out with two awesome tracks from our guests. First, we've got a track composed for the game The Take by Zack Singer and Chase Bethia's composition for the game Jigaimo. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme.